I, right. I would listen to that an hour of people talking about interesting looking vegetables every week. I'm Elizabeth Fluggs. And I'm Ben McKenzie. Welcome to Eat Club, a special bonus episode of Pratt Chat, a Terry Pratchett Book Club podcast. Once a year, we record a bonus episode with topics chosen by our Eek tier subscribers. This year, the topics are, well, I couldn't come up with a theme to connect them, but it did allow me to come up with the term impranet, which is not my best pun ever, but it will make sense later. <laughs> Okay. All right. I'm looking forward to that. Um, and if you want to choose a topic for next year's special episode, you can become a subscriber too. Liz, hello. It's time. It's Hi. the glorious 25th of May. I'm very excited. And what a good array of questions we've gotten. Like, they're just such a broad gamut of things. Yeah. And I mean, and everyone's so full. Every year we do this now. This is our third time. If you've never listened to one of these special episodes before, we send out the call and we're never quite sure what we're going to get back. <laughs> but, you know, every one of our tier subscribers really thought about it and came back with at least a couple, and in some cases, like four or five different ideas for what they'd like us to talk about. And we we have had to try and pair that back to just one, just one each. Otherwise, we'd be here forever. But we will try and use those topics in our subscriber-only podcast, The Oot Club which is a very intermittent podcast, but we will do another one. It will happen. But yes, we'll try and use some of those topics there, but we've just picked one mm. each. If you do hear um, purring, it's because there is another special secret guest in the background. Yes, one of the Pratt cats is here. Not Chaos, who's been the sort of more vocal cat. I, we cut this out of the board game episode when we talked about the witches, but there was, that, <laughs> there was a moment during recording that. When he, he, we had the, the was box was just propped up on the table so we could see the cover of it. And he was on the chair behind it and he sort of popped up and he just pushed it over. <laughs> He's like, get it out of the way. I want to be involved. <laughs> uh, I feel that should have been part of the episode. Like that's, that's some pretty important audience participation. Look, it just, it just didn't, it just didn't sound good. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, chaos. But, but it you- was funny in real life. Yeah, in real life, it was hilarious. In audio only, nonsense. Unintelligible nonsense. Shall we kick into this, Liz? Yes, let's get into it. As is traditional, I have tried to organise the topics in order that they were sent in. That just seems fairest. So that's how we're going to go. Part one, Frank. All right, so this is one that got me thinking quite a lot. It's one we've talked about before, but things change in between every discussion and there's always new options. And I'm actually quite excited to discuss this one because I think my mm. mind has changed on a few things. Um, oh, really? Sort of like, te- yeah. So to been teasing what the question actually yeah. is. Like, <laughs> You're burying the lead there, Liz. <laughs> no, no, I'm, I'm building suspense. Is this, this is what you've taught you at that newspaper. <laughs> <laughs> so Frank wrote it out very beautifully, but we've, we've sum- summarized it down to ultimate actor casting for the Discworld characters. So um, oh, we're going to talk about yeah. just a few. We've each sort of thought about a handful of them, but we'll see. Like Ben, mm. what have you come up with? Well, look, I just, I just want to say, I'm glad we don't, we don't do this often because uh, if you participate, listener, in any of the online Discord forums, you will know that this is a 
often recurring theme, particularly in the Facebook groups, to the point where some of them have banned it because they're, they're sick of people suggesting the same actors all the time. I think it's it's something that needs to be discussed. So I'm I mean, very look, for it. I, I want to make it clear. I'm not against it. I think it is fun, but I think when you see it done often, and there's also I, I haven't talked about this before, but there's there's also an element when when you work in the industry, like when you have been an actor, you've, you do think about it a little differently because you know when you're doing a fan casting, which is sort of the usual way we describe this. You can just pick whoever you want and just imagine how great would that be. But often it's celebrities and people who are really well known. And that's that's disheartening to the rest of us. <laughs> you know, we'd like, we'd like a go, but that's all right. We're going to have a go. But yes, as Liz said, we, we've just tried to pick a few characters so we can have a bit more of a, a deep think about this. Mm. Look, I just picked a few of my favorites who I think I would just love to see. Look, I've got a really obvious one, and this is this is a celebrity. I have tried to think a bit more outside the box, but it's hard, right? Because what I think would be ideal is that you get people who would make these characters their own and then become famous for being these characters, because I think that would be incredible, you know? Like, what a great opportunity for any actor. But I want to start with uh, Mustram Ridkali, Arch-Chancellor. Mm-hmm. Of Unseen University. I re- and I don't know if I've seen this suggested anywhere, which blows my mind. And he is getting a bit old for it now, so maybe it wouldn't work. But I I just feel like Brian Blessed should be Arch-Chancellor Ridcully, at least in some version of the Discworld. And do you, you, you're familiar with the work of Brian Blessed, Liz? I feel like I have heard the name, but I am not able to picture the person right now. Okay. So please give me a bit of context. So, uh, so Brian Blessed, an English actor, has been around for a very long time. Big, big guy, big booming voice, distinctive voice. Like you can't mistake him for anyone else. So, uh, his famous roles, if you're not familiar with the name, one of his most famous roles is he plays a uh, Voltan, leader of the Hawkmen in the 1980s Flash Gordon movie. <laughs> Um, <laughs> of course. <laughs> he's also been in everything. You know, he's been in Doctor Who. He was in Excalibur. I'm pretty sure he was in Excalibur. I might be mistaken for someone else. Uh, the film that had every British actor who was up and coming at the time in it, from Patrick Stewart to Liam Neeson to, you know, everybody. But he's also in uh, Much Ado About Nothing and, in fact, in quite a few of Kenneth Branagh's Shakespeare films. He was the the ghost of old Hamlet in Kenneth Branagh's Hamlet. Um, he oh, was, my God, uh, his list of performances has its own oh, Wikipedia it's- page, and that that is divided into filmography stage and audio drama. Oh, yeah, he is <laughs> he is super prolific. Uh, younger listeners may be more familiar with his voice acting role as Boss Nass, leader of the Gungans in Star Wars Episode One, I say <laughs> no. younger listeners, like that is that is like probably the middle of our demographic there. Younger listeners only know the sequel trilogy, I'm sure. But anyway, yeah, he's done loads of stuff, but he's got he's got the voice, he's got the attitude. Like I can't believe, in fact, that Pratchett wasn't thinking about Brian Blessed at least a little bit when writing Red Cully. And uh, you know, not that I dislike any of the actors who've been cast as him up to now. Uh, not that we've seen heaps, but there's been a few in audio. Joss Ackland played him in the Hogfather telly movie, and he was great. But yeah, it's uh, I, it would be great to hear that voice saying mm. some of Rid Cully's lines. So that's my first mm. one. Um, who did you, who did you pick, Liz? Who's your first one that you want to talk about? Um, so I'll start with my most risky one, um, and then we'll go in. Uh, so I'd like to start with Magrat, and oh. I thought that Elizabeth Moss would be an interesting choice for her because. I reckon she could do interesting things with that character. Hmm. 
you might have to get, you yeah. have to give me some context now. I'm like, I'm sure I know the name Elizabeth Moth, but I am, I am having, I, I mean, I said Elizabeth Moth, but I know you mean Elizabeth Moth. <laughs> and I know the name. Who, where would I know Elizabeth Moth from? I guess most recently her biggest thing has been The Handmaid's Tale. So she plays June in that. But she's around a lot in a lot of, she was great in The Square. She had a very small role in that film about an art gallery, which I realize is not my go to to explain who she is. Handmaid's Tale is probably the best one for that. She was also in The Invisible Man, I think the last movie I saw oh, before yeah. lockdowns happened. Yeah, she's very good. She has very good range. And mm. I reckon she would do, because it's easy to write off Magrat as being sort of one note, but there's that actual, like, that level underneath that you get to see come through from time to time when she gets to hold her own. And I think she'd do a really good job of showing that and bringing mm. that through. Do you think it's a problem that she's American? I reckon she could do the accent, but um, I'm just trying to go. I don't want to. I don't want to alienate the Americans. Well, I'm realizing sorry, I've chosen all Americans actually. So, well, gonna- no, that's fine. I only bring it up because you know there are certain things where you just sort of feel like Doctor Who is like this, right? Like I don't think they'll ever cast an American actor to play the Doctor because it's too much of a you know, an English institution. It'd be like casting an American to play Crocodile Dundee in a reboot. You know, you'd be like, no, what are you doing? And, of course, Australians and, and British people get cast as American characters all the time, but that's Hollywood. You know, you're making a billion films a year. It's where you have to go to get consistent work. It's a, it's a little bit of a different kettle of fish than when you're making a British film or TV show or an Australian film or TV show where you really want to be casting locals if the roles are local you know, locals. And of course, you know, nobody's local because we can't cast anyone from the disc world. <laughs> um, but, you know, but it it does, in my head, they all have English accents, the characters. They're not Americans. Mm. So you want at least American actors who can do a convincing English accent. What what kind, I mean, Elizabeth Moss is probably a bit older than I think of Magrat being. Hmm. But I don't. This is our I fantasy think, casting, so we'll see how yeah, we go. No, but I think she could do. I think you're right. I think she'd be great. Yeah, yeah, and also okay. like an interesting thing um, in the books of the Miss Fisher murder mystery books, um, mm. Franny Fisher, the lead detective, is quite young. Like I think she's in her early to mid twenties, whereas mm. she's mm. older in the TV series, and that changes things a little bit, but gives her a different confidence, and it also allows her to have a different kind of backstory as well. So like. It's rare that they'll cast an actress older than as written, but I think there is opportunity there, even though like their whole dynamic that, but there's a lot of room for younger than any Og, right? <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. I am going to go with one of the big ones for my next one. Um, I'm going to mm-hmm. cast Rincewind and I'm going to go a little bit outside the box, I think. Cause I'm casting him a little, cause I've talked about how I, how old I think Rincewind should be. And I think, you know, if you're going to do, if you're going to make a whole Rincewind series based on all the books that he's in, you'd have to sort of cast him a little bit older than he seems to start out, but not too much because he'd need to be sort of early middle age or, or, or sort of just before that. So, you know, like thirties, early forties, maybe. I mean that's my age, but I'm 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 assuming I can't. My dream casting for that would be me, but I don't. I was, I was about to say that's my dream casting. If you're not about to suggest yourself, I'm going to come to your house and be like, <laughs> "No, no, how dare you?" <laughs> no, but what what I think we need is somebody who can do sarcasm very well. You know, who just likes to just poke fun at how ridiculous things are, but also can be really good at being put upon, but has a sort of essential kind of likability. And I thought of two people. And I'm not, and one of them's not 
from the UK. So, I'm breaking my own rules <laughs> almost immediately. But the two people I thought of, one was um, Richard Iowati, from, who oh, best yeah. known from the IT crowd. I think he could be a great Rinswin. <laughs> I'd watch the hell out of that. Yeah, how good would I'm, it be? I'm sold. <laughs> you know, but also, I also thought of Taika Waititi because he's done some- re- Like, I think his sensibility- It's difficult because I think he whatever he does turns into a Taika Waititi project. Yeah. <laughs> like, has his tone. But I think that's compatible with the Discworld. And you could also- I mean, if you've seen Our Flag Means Death, I think you could also have Reese Darby as well. Like he would also, he could also do quite a good Rinswind, perhaps. Um, more, maybe more upon the Or what about Taika Waititi as Rinswind, but yeah, mm. Reese as, I was going to say Red Cully, because that would be interesting. Oh. I reckon he'd do a, a very decent Red <laughs> Cully, actually. Yeah. Well, Taika's got more of the, like if you've, if he's still got the big beard, like the black beard beard. He looks a bit Rid esque So he could do that as well. So it could be either. But anyway, yeah. those those were a couple of my thoughts for Rinswind. I thought maybe any of those three might be great and just give it a bit of, quite a different energy, maybe, to the books. But I mean, I, I don't want it to be the same. When we had Andy yeah. on talking about Rince Mangle, one of the things he said was he doesn't really want there to be Discworld films because mm. he's they wouldn't possibly be as good as the imagined film in your head. And mm. I kind of really, I get that. I think it'd be better as a TV show anyway. So anyway, that's mine. I've talked way too much about Rinswind. <laughs> Who would you, who's your next one, Liz? All right. So my next one is veterinary. And like, I've had a picture in my mind for a really long time. I'm like, oh yeah, that would be like Charles Dance, right? That's, and he would mm. do an amazing job. Obviously, this is not who I'm suggesting, but I was having a think like if I wanted to get the essence of the character. And I thought a lot about, I forgot the name of the book, but where you see younger veterinary and how he compares and contrasts the one that is now. Mm. Um, I think Stephen Yuen would do a really good job. Now I know this name. Where do I know? Where do I know Stephen from? So from The Walking Dead, um, he played Glenn, I think, and he's also in Beef, that series on Netflix. Um, mm. He's very good. But yeah. Okay. So I think he's got a playfulness, but he can also be very scary. So like Beef, I don't know if you have watched it, but and this is not a spoiler. This is just the basic premise. Mm. It starts off where. A man is in a car park pulling out of his spot and a woman cuts him off and honks him and they have a road rage incident where they follow each other for a little while and everyone is fine but angry and that sort of triggers off this weird combative thing between these two characters for the rest of the series and it goes off into some unexpected places. So Stephen Yuen is the man in the car park in that one. I think he could do the scary but likable nature. A veterinary very well. Okay. I'm right. look, I'm I confess I'm coming up blank because I haven't seen any of these shows that you've mentioned, but but I believe well, I had you. to Google your guy, so don't worry. <laughs> yeah, if that's fair. Look, this is fair. This is the problem, right? Was we, we we've been given such a broad like Frank said, anyone you want, living or dead, alive. I mean, I've tried to stick with living people because I want to imagine that it could possibly <laughs> um happen as much as I just said I don't really want it to happen. But yeah, I uh no I'm I'm so mm. I like it. I didn't see the dead one. Like, Ivor Novello also would make a very interesting veterinary. I assume. I have never heard his voice because he was a silent film actor, but if he's got the vibe. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, we've seen Charles Dance do it, though, right? And he was great. He was amazing. Yeah. And he's just, he just, he looked, he's what, yeah. I, the words aren't coming, but. That's fair enough. Look, I, I got one more. I'm just going to do one more. We could, like, we could do heaps, but we'll be here forever. <laughs> We'll be here forever. Listen, we want to know who yours are. Like, uh, we don't mm. want to do this all the time, obviously, but 
if you've got ones that you really want to tell us, tweet them at us or stick them on Mastodon or send us an email. If you're subscribing at the Discord, tell us. We want to know who yours are. I've got one more. And I kind of changed my mind about this because I not this is it's one of my favorite Australian actors. I just think she would do so well. And originally I kind of thought she'd be a good nanny og, but I've changed my mind about this. And I actually think she'd make a great granny weatherwax. And this is um, an actor named Melissa Jaffa, not mega famous, but just a really great Australian actor who I've always enjoyed her work. I remember first seeing her in a kids TV show when I was young called Swap Shop. There was a UK version of Swap Shop, which I don't know if the Australian one was a remake of. I think they might actually have been a bit different, but it was a great show. And she was great in that. And I had fond memories of her when I was a kid. But also, she was in Farscape. Uh, in the later seasons of Farscape, uh. they pick up this sort of weird old woman, basically, who's like a, a mystic who, like, chews things up in her mouth and like, makes people eat them and to heal them and all this kind of weird stuff. She's got a third eye. She's wearing all this sort of makeup. But I, I'm looking at pictures. Yeah. <laughs> she's got an edge to her. She's in a couple of George Miller's films. Most recently, 3,000 Years of Longing, she plays like a sort of a bit part with Madge from Neighbours. <laughs> they show up at the end as the main character's annoying neighbours. But she's so good. And I feel like she's the right age. She's got the look. She's got the attitude. I think Melissa Jaffa would be an amazing Granny Weatherwax. Again, I'm breaking my own rules because she's Australian, but I, I know she can do an English accent. I think she'd be amazing. Hmm. I'm going to switch up one of mine as well, actually. Um mm. I'd like to cast Moise von Lipwig, and I'd also like to cast an Australian. Sorry to be so like Australia today from both of us, no, but that's fine. I think Bob Morley would do a very good job. Bob um, so most recently, he's on that series Love Me, which I have not watched but have heard universally good things about. I know him best from The Hundred and also from Home and Away from when I was a teenager. Um, but he was also on Neighbours, which is you know people aren't usually on both. So yeah, I think he'd do a good job. <laughs> It's true. If you can do both soaps, you're doing pretty well. Mm. Uh, oh, he's got the he's got a good look for him. That's yeah. a good good face for Moist. Yeah, and I think he could jump out of a fire with a cat and do a stirring speech, and also wear a gold suit and make it not look silly. Mm. So yeah, yeah. We'll move on from there because otherwise we'll be here all day. Frank, thank you for forcing us to indulge in this very popular traditional fan pastime. <laughs> Yes, allowing us to do that, which we don't normally do. But yes, please do send us your fan castings, anybody allowed, live or dead. But do try and think a little outside the box because there are names that do come up all the time. And I I always want to hear who else could it be? How would you make this work? Part two, Jing. All right, you're going to hear this a, a little bit across this recording, but we got a lot of really great questions from Jing. We've distilled, not our favorite, but the one that we most wanted to discuss down to, is there a Discord equivalent of podcasts? And this one brought about an image so strong in my mind that I cannot wait to talk about it, but okay. I'll wait a little bit. Um, so no, no, you should go. First. You should just go for it, Liz. I want to hear about it now. I was like, okay, so like, how would you spread the word of something? Like, what is a podcast? It's like people who have shared interest sharing a thing, but what's a Discworld twist on it? So like, there is sometimes like a bit of a pejorative view of podcasts. Sometimes people think there's too many or like, so I thought, how would Terry Pratchett have fun with this? And I was just, the image just struck me and it was carolers, but podcasts, they knock (laughs) at the door, (laughs) you open it and the podcast starts and you can't make them go away. (laughs) 
So it's an in-person, it's like a live show podcast, but it just turns up on your doorstep. Do you subscribe? Like, do you pay them money? <laughs> Is that how subscribing to a podcast works on Discord? You just pay the money and they put you on their route and they turn up and talk to you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there's a, there's obviously different kinds of podcasts, just like there are in our world. So mm-hmm. um, mm-hmm. there'll be some where like you follow along with them. So you go around on the route. So like, they don't come to your house, but maybe you come with them. There's ones where you go to a communal spot, perhaps. Um, for some where it's a really specific topic, maybe they come to your house and you invite your friends around like a Tupperware party. Mm-hmm. So, but yeah, I think the, the thing that I most like the idea of is them coming to your door and doing, <laughs> which is not a very efficient way to do a podcast. No, but that's all right. I, this is fun because I, this is very different to what I was thinking. Like I sort of went a bit of a magical route. So there's that bit in soul music where I can't remember if it is Ponder or I think it is. He's the one who figures out if you have this sort of magical bit of string in a box, you can record the music. And then it it's, it kind of stops working when the music with rocks in fades away, I think. But I thought we could do something like that because you sympathetic magic we know works on the disc. So what you could do is if you have two people talking and they're talking into a some sort of weird device that would then resonate with sympathetic magic. And then you could open yours up at home and their voices would come out of it when you activated it. So it would be kind of like a radio, but it would not be simultaneous. So it could be this weird sort of magical thing, but you would have to collect the right bit of string in order to hear what they're saying. (laughs) Like it'd have to be (laughs) a string, like the string would have to be made from like a hair from the same unicorn as the one that they're speaking into. Like it's something ridiculous like that. Yeah, I think we understand there's a mechanism by which this could work, but the carol is thing. <laughs> Sorry, this is a, the image would not leave me. <laughs> I know it doesn't work very well. No, I've got to interrogate this more. Do you imagine that it's the, let's say, like we haven't even talked about who's doing the podcasting, right? But let's imagine that, well, first of all, who would host a podcast? Let's stick with Ankh Morpork. Who's making the Ankh Morpork podcast, the one that's really popular? That's really popular or is like the official city one? No, the one that people listen to, like the, the popular one. The person who I think would be involved in it from the beginning would be Dibbler because he'd be in there putting oh, his ads true. in the middle of it. Wait, I know who it is. I know who it is. It's the voice on the street just interviewing the everyday people of Ankh Morpork and it's voice only. So I think it's Gaspo, the Wonder Dog. <laughs> I think Gaspo <laughs> is hosting a podcast because nobody's like on the on the internet, no one can tell you're a dog, right? So <laughs> Uh, he can do that. But my question was, if it's the Carolers version, would Gaspo, I mean, obviously it would blow his cover, but would Gaspode and his guest be the one going house to house or would the original host of the podcast do it one time for a, an audience of the Carolers, the, the Castellers, let's call them Castellers because that's a stupid word and we need a <laughs> stupid word for it. But the Castellers would listen and then- they would go off and repeat what the actual host and their guest said. Oh, yeah, that could work. So that's a much more rational way of actually doing this than what I suggested. Yeah. But, yeah. They just remember it, and then when you want to hear it, they come around to your house and act out the conversation for you. I think it's progressively more degraded, like if you, like, (laughs) like a recording. Yeah, it gets worse and worse. I mean, we didn't say it had to work exactly like a podcast would. That's great. So, so yeah, I imagine Gaspo doing an interview podcast. It would be this Angmorpork life, right? It's just stories about Angmorpork, about people's regular lives. Brought to you by Bugger at Hand and Shrimp. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. 
Yeah. Do you imagine any famous round world podcasts that would translate well? Not directly, but like the format, like what would there be a Discworld equivalent of? Would they do true crime ones? Like, oh, absolutely. And who would be doing those? Like, who would be hosting that? Oh, I think this is the, you need a new character. I don't think any of the existing characters would really fit for that. I think you'd have a new character, but, you know, the watch would be really pissed off. <laughs> They'd be really <laughs> annoyed. Uh, and you know what? Probably, maybe it would be linked to the, you know, sort of journalism because it is, you know, it's a form of journalism or it can be when it's done properly. Mm. Maybe it comes from that world. So maybe Sakurisa mm. does one. I don't know. She does that. Deck- Moist Act- Lipwig would definitely have one. Yes. Like you get one up for the post office, you get one up for the mint. Like, you know how lots of like those big organizations have mm. a podcast, mm. but he'd make it good. And there'd be, there'd be a podcast about pins and about stamps. Stanley would have it. He'd totally. He would An interesting looking vegetables podcast because it would translate so terribly. Like. <laughs> yes. Yes. Okay. I, right. I would listen to that though. Like I actually would. Like if it was just like an hour of people talking about interesting looking vegetables you know, every week. We have mentioned before that we would maybe try doing an in-universe podcast. I don't think we <laughs> ever do it regularly, but maybe this is a project we should think about, Liz. So okay. if you listen, if you've got an idea, what what would the perfect Discworld podcast be? Like, as in one made on the Discworld, who would their guests be? What would they talk about? Would they even have guests? I mean, remember, I mean, this is where you know it's important to remember: podcast is a medium; it's not a style of of, uh, of production. So there's there's a lot of different things they could be. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, mm. tell us what you think we should do. We'll see if we can make one. That could be quite a lot of fun. That project. Um, mm. That could be a special, special episode. Anyway, we'll see. Ching, thank you so much for the opportunity to talk about this. That was a lot of fun. Yeah. Part three, Graham. For this one, we're going to do what are your possible reading orders and what are their strengths and weaknesses? Thank you for the incredibly difficult question. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. this I was surprised. Like when Graham mentioned this, this came through in the Discord. I was like, haven't we talked about this? And I was like, no, we haven't. We've we've a couple no. of times we've kind of tackled what book should you start with? So we're not going to try and retread that. Although that obviously, if you're going to give an order for people to read them in. Yeah. Uh, mm. but it's, it's, it's weird, isn't question. it? Cause I don't know. Have you, have you read them in a lot of different orders or are we, just, this is mostly hypothetical for us, I think. Yeah. So I've only read them in one order and that order was utter mayhem, <laughs> but just, just pure chaos. And, and it worked out for me, but I don't know if I can like suggest that as, as an order, <laughs> like mm. just being like, whatever one you can find, read that one. Um, is not, <laughs> not really, um, no, this, there's both a strength and a weakness. I guess I can attest to how good the books are as standalone things that keep you coming back. Mm. But I mean, as someone who does like to be organized, I would like to sit down and properly map out like my ideal order. But again, it's so personal, isn't it? Mm. Well, let's go through a couple of the obvious choices and talk about whether we think they work. I mean, I think it's worth talking about chronological publication order, which is obviously not what we've mm. done for the podcast. But it is how I originally read them with a couple of little gaps here and there. But I think it's got a lot to recommend it because you do get a little bit of each sub-series as you go. They're not as spread out as you might like because, you know, particularly towards the end, he'd invent a new character and go, this character's great. I'm going to write a few books about them. (laughs) And they'd come out a lot more frequently. But it's got that going for it. But it also means, you know, you have to start with the early ones. 
which may or may not be to your liking. You, you'll see the evolution of his writing and of the Discworld itself, but there are gaps in between your favourite characters that you might not enjoy. So I think that's a bit of a downside. Mm. To be honest, if I were going to go back in time and tell myself to read them, having never read them, but with the knowledge that I have that I should, mm. I would do it chronologically for those reasons. Because I think the temptation to skip ones and go on with the ones that you like the most is strong, even though like they're all good in their own way. I think there is a lot of benefit to be gained by following along with how the writer let them unfold. So with the caveat of saying that they change and giving people hints of what is to come, because I don't know if I would have continued reading them if I started in order. Like, I don't know if that would have been enough to keep me there. Mm. So the most tidy and good reading order is chronological, but I also think that if you wanted to sit down and map out a perfect reading order that wound around and had a few group things, but maybe had a scaffolding of some of the more standalone books to keep you like on a chronological path. But then you go sort of like the wizard's books, mostly all together and then a standalone book and then the watch books and then a standalone book, like something like Mm. that could also work because it it could also be really good to get to know one group really well in a cluster. Yeah. One of the things I was thinking about is I think there's a kind of, I don't don't know a better term for it, so I'm going to call it sort of the equivalent of the machete order, if you're familiar with that idea about the order in which you should watch all the Star Wars movies, um, mm. where you kind of, you start with episode four, and then you get up to the bit where, spoiler alert, Darth Vader says, I'm your father, uh, and then you flash back to the prequels, and then you come back and watch the rest of Empire Strikes Back, and then mm. you watch, and I don't know if that's a good idea, but I think for the Discworld books- Because I actually still think the best thing to do is to pick the ones that sound the most interesting to you and just read those. So, if you read, like, the Watch books and you're like, oh, that sounds great, or you read the Witches ones, oh, that sounds great, you just start with one of the really early ones of those and then go through those. Mm. But then I think there's also an argument to be made that if you do that, but then you get up to a certain point, sort of when you're sort of in the middle of the series, and then before you finish off, say, reading all the Watch books, you go back and you read, like, the first few Witches ones or maybe you read all the witches ones up to Carpe Jugulum and then you sort of go on. But where they start to cross over a little bit and where the tone of the Discworld becomes really assured and, and consistent, which is probably around the time of like Feet of Clay, maybe a bit later than that, then you start reading them in publication order. So they kind of, they're mm. interweaving and because the connections between them are fun, but hardly any of them are strong enough that they really matter, <laughs> you know? But I also do think chaos does work if you start on a strong note. <laughs> Like if you get a good first recommendation that's like tailored to you and then just go wherever next, then I do think that there is a lot to recommend that as well. Because as you say, there's a sort of era where they are quite even Mm. and earlier on, it's a lot more polarizing some of the books. So I think if you just sort of go about it willy nilly, that can actually be fine. And it's kind of fun to find things out in the wrong order as well as I did. So yeah. And I'd also totally say that. The Pratchett order works great. <laughs> you know, start <laughs> oh, yeah, with Men at Arms, go back to Mort, then go sort of chronologically, but spreading some of the series out so you don't read them all in one go, which is, you know, broadly speaking, what we've tried to do. Yeah. If you wanted to go super chaos and it would be like an impossible task, read the series, not in the chronological order in which it was written, but in the chronological order of events. So, You'd have to dissect some of the books. So every time there's a flashback, you move that to a separate part of the 
So you're going to have to cut Night Watch oh, in, no. into bits and also interspersed all the Tiffany books in there as well, where oh, they yes. fit chronologically. That, that's what I'd recommend actually also. That's the most interesting part for me. I'd splice those in. Like if, even if we say chronological in the order they're written, I don't count the Tiffany books in that because I think they should be spliced into roughly where they fit with the other ones in terms of yeah. the events unfolding. Yeah, because they only sort of catch up and intersect with the other books with Partial Way Midnight, where we've just read, because that's when she meets some of the other characters and we kind of know where those characters are at. Although I think, I mean, you could make arguments for other things as well, but I think that's the most interesting one is where do we think those fit in? Because most of them do take place in at least chronological order, but how much time passes between them varies quite a bit. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon try and work that out. Mm. Yeah, we'll try and work that out. We'll stick that on there. I mean, there's there's some great Discord timelines, but it will do your head in trying to take that too seriously because Pratchett didn't care. So, um, which is <laughs> he just didn't and that care bit about where when they, things they change time. So, like, what's happening across the Discord itself? It doesn't always align. Exactly, exactly. I do think that would be fun though to try and work that out. And uh, if we do work it out, we'll stick it on the website so you can have a look at it and have a go. Yeah, someone's going to make like a several meters long book where they cut up all of them into exactly chronological order and you have to read it like that. Oh, no. That would be horrendous. amazing. <laughs> it wouldn't have a great plot, but it would be chronological. You just ha- you'd have to remember things for so long. <laughs> the timeline reading. Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think whatever reading order you pick, I would never want to do each subseries in order. I mm. think there's such a joy in experiencing the disc from a lot of different perspectives as you go along. I think another good order might be one from each sort of subseries and then a standalone one and then one from each subseries. And the only problem with that is you're going to run out of some of them a lot quicker <laughs> than others because, you know, there's a, there's fewer death and Rincewind books than there are, you know, say witches and and watch books. I wonder if anyone out there has read them in alphabetical order. Because <laughs> there's wow. so many people who've read them, and I just, in- I'm just curious, like how and what that would be, like how. I think how the amazing like- Maurice would be first, right? I don't think any of the others start with an A, do they? Yeah, I'm not sure. Okay, we'll have to work that one out. I think the I th- that's just more like a question. That's not a suggestion, but I I just wonder <laughs> if that's something someone has done because I think that's quite an interesting way to do it. Not yeah. advocating for it. Um, I think if I'm advocating for something based purely on what I'd recommend to my past self, I would do chronological order. Sure. I've got a friend who has been doing that this year and has been keeping me updated as he goes, and it's been a joy to sort of see like his thinking on it and the things that he pulls out. So, yeah. Yeah, well, there's there's no shortage of people reading through. I do think that chronological is the simplest one. It's the easiest one to do. But I'm glad I'm not reading through them in that order again, just because I've already done it once. I want to do it differently now. And you really can't go too wrong. Like, every book stands alone. Part four. Car. All right. So, um, I'm trying not to say carolers show up at your doorstep for this one. <laughs> No, this is going to be different. Come on. <laughs> it's going to be different. Um, but Carl's question or questions we've, we've distilled down to how would social media work on the disc world? Mm. I look, I, I mean, Carl also used the <laughs> incredible, uh, term interclax, which I think is a great way to think about it because I think it would effectively be. So, I mean, look, you know, one thing I left out of when we were talking about the podcast is there's an obvious solution that it's, it's imp 
driven, right? So there's mm. there's so, like so where internet came from. Oh, from, from the, the internet. Early oh, I see. Mm. Yes, uh, that would also work for podcasts. It wouldn't have to be a bit of string, and then the imp could remember the podcast and it would talk to you later. And that could work instead of the carolers as well. You know, like you have your podcast in front of an audience of just little imps, and then they go back into their boxes and their owners. So I think that's how social media might work as well. Well, what I was picturing for that, like it was also imps, but like you have imps in your house mm. and maybe they can hear something in the way, like, you know how dogs can hear high pitched noises, <laughs> but we cannot. And then they relay it to you in human yeah. tones. But it's, it's like code, like they're, they're being told things, but then they draw them. Like it depends on whether it's Instagram or something. <laughs> so like, then they quickly draw it for you. Like you subscribe to certain like screeches where you're like, Oh yes, I'd like to hear this. So like that person, like, influencers um, would <laughs> sort of have their channel of screech that would go out. And if you subscribe to that, then your imp will pick that up and draw it out for you, whatever they're doing. And then you'd be like, oh, yeah, that person has bought bathers. Great. Um, so I, I thought it would work kind of like that. Well, I'm loving this. For I also, from- <laughs> it's it's reminding me of how the Fediverse works, which if you don't know, listen, this is the sort of system on which Mastodon, the sort of alternate Twitter is built. It's not really an alternate Twitter. It's its own thing, but it's similar because it's a microblogging platform. But the point of the Fediverse is that it's not one service that everybody is on. It's a whole bunch of little ones that use the same infrastructure and can talk to each other. And it's not just Mastodon, which is kind of like Twitter. There's also ones that are kind of like Instagram and for audio. So there's lots of stuff out there. And this strikes me like it could be like that because the imps could do anything. Like they could talk to you. They could put up a picture. You don't, it doesn't have to be just one kind of social media. I like this. I do like the interclax idea though as well. Like that mm. there could also be, cause I think there'd be more than one, right? If social media turned up on the disc, you would get more than one way that it worked because they'd compete mm. with each other. And I think they would get sort of these weird little handheld clax devices that you could send little mini signals on. But again, you know, they'd need an imp to operate them because, mm. you know, you wouldn't. And, but then that might be redundant because, you know, wouldn't it be faster if the imps just listened to the screeching? <laughs> you know, because the, the yeah. clax is good for sending messages on the trunk, but, you know, to get it to you and you have to be looking, it's all line of sight stuff. So, yeah, I don't know. Mm. Anyway, but, right. but let's assume that it's there. It does work somehow. Who are the, the big influencers? Sorry, influencers. Influencers. <laughs> Nanny Og. Nanny Og. Oh, Yeah. yeah. What is she? Do you think is she? What's she doing? Is she like giving helpful tips? I reckon she'd be. Do, she'd have one of those like cooking ones, like because you know in the early days of Instagram it was food, so she'd be like the joy mm. of snacks. Oh yeah, yeah. But she'd the, totally be up for it. Yeah, yeah. But also she could have one of those accounts that's just you know chaotic but enticing. Like she just like put up pictures from her life. But you because would you not if Nanny Og was a real person and had a just a Instagram of her life? Would you not subscribe? I would. Totally. And she's got all like those, stories. like, daughters-in-law to help her take pictures and stuff. And I, mm. I, um, so she wouldn't even have to learn how to use the technology, you know? Mm. She wouldn't even have to touch the, the thing at all. Yeah. But would she be an influencer, though? Because, like, I don't think she would take sponsorship from anyone. Not in the sense of being, like, an influencer as a career. I think she'd just have a social media that would go off. Mm. She'd just be big. Yeah, she'd just be popular. She's one of those accounts that's popular, but not curated content in that way. She'd be Imster famous. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, who would be the influencer? Yeah. Who would take? Who would do what? I mean, I mean, look, well, Moist, 
Well, yeah, Dibbler. Most before he's reformed would be all over it, right? Because he'd see it as a real easy grift. And he's made for it. He's charming. He's good looking. He can put on a front. He can sell anything if he wants to. He'd be like a catfisher, though, rather than an influencer. <laughs> really? Oh, maybe. Wow. Yeah, maybe. 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 It depends on what the grift is. If it's just to get priest off, I reckon he could do mm. that. Or to get money to promote stuff. I think he'd just be a money-making scheme. That's not really his style, is it? It's mm. more a Dibbler thing. Yeah. But would anyone want to listen to Dibbler? I I feel like the answer is no. <laughs> Dibbler would probably back someone else. Like, he'd be, like, running a thing, but he'd find mm. someone to be, like, the face of it. Like, so he might manage a few different, like, types of influencers. Yeah. I feel like very few... Discworld characters, certainly not any main characters, are fake enough. Not that I want to insinuate that all influencers are, are like that, because of course some people would just, they're, they're sending out a message that they think is important. They get popular and then as a way of supporting themselves to spend more time on their message, they do advertise things that are consistent with their message. I've seen plenty of stuff like that. They're not all, you know, you sort of Byron Bay's kind of. <laughs> You know, clearly just taking money from whoever without considering whether or not they're doing harm by promoting the things they're promoting. So not everyone's like that. But I think like that's what we think of when we think of influencers. And it's what the biggest ones often are a bit like, at least. So I'm not sure. I think Adora Bell would set up a decently followed golem based one. Mm, Yeah. Okay. And she would take appropriate spot. I think she'd be very strict about what kind of things they promoted. And so would the golems. Mm. But they would take money because they'd be raising money to buy other yeah, golems' freedom. freedom. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. I like that one. I reckon some of the nobility in Ankh-Morpork would go for it. Like, I could see, like, the rusts maybe, you know, having a keeping up with the Kardashians. Imster, I'm so <laughs> exciting. Like, because they, they're used to being the most important and most well-known people because they're rich. And I think fame that doesn't carry that wealth would be a threat to them, so they would try and dominate it as well. And, of course, they're, yeah. they're the ones who've got the free time to be doing it. You know, like, they don't have to work. <laughs> so, I think they'd be in there. An interchangeable Emma, I reckon, because oh, oh. they'd have the whole dragon thing. Yeah, And I reckon that would be a something. Dragons would go off on Instagram. Mm, but as in, like, Sybil would probably have a formal official one that is updated sort of, like, every three weeks kind of thing, um, but patchily, but I reckon there'd be a... And Emma, who's like, no, this is my, my thing. I come in every day and I do a talk to talk to the imp and show you my favorite dragons and that kind of thing. So I reckon there'd be a sort of spin-off Swamp Dragons Instagram. Yeah. Would the Sunshine Sanctuary, that have their own, right? They'd have to have mm. their own one. Yeah. So that'd be the formal popular. one. Yeah. And be very cute. Yeah. They'd, they'd be like one of those brand ones that has a fun conversations with other brands where it doesn't get too silly. Well, did you ever follow that Twitter account, which is that wholesome man in England? It was big during the early stage of the pandemic who, like, lived on a farm and he'd just go around and talk to his animals and let them out and things. So I reckon that kind of thing mm. for the Sunshine Sanctuary. Yeah, I, I didn't follow it, but I heard about it from you. <laughs> <laughs> it was so good. Yeah. I wonder what he's up to. Uh, yeah. Look, if it became popular, do you think, like, some of the main characters would get into it? Like, if everyone was doing it? Yeah, and in in the same way that, like, it's sometimes hard to not as well because it becomes, for example, William DeWord would get into their version of Twitter or whatnot. Mm. He'd have to, I think, like all the journalists would have to. Yeah, that makes sense. Veterinary would not have one, but he would watch all of it very closely. 
Do you think Moist would take over, you know, the Instagram network or the internet? He would be like, someone's got to manage this. It's going to be me. I think if he's writing it now, yeah, that would be a, a natural sort of progression for him. Mm. Yeah, I think that's where he'd be. I don't think he'd have, like, you know, as much as I was talking about this before, I don't actually think he would have his own account because that would require him to be himself. But he might have f- some fake accounts where he can get that wanting to pretend to be somebody else out of his system <laughs> and not worry about it. Oh, Carrot would have one where he shares, like, stuff he loves about the city, like his own personal one, but it would have a disproportionately high number of followers to content and he wouldn't understand why it's because he is buff yeah he'd just be like talking about like something that super boring but everyone would just be like hitting like on there like the whole time and he would be none the wiser (laughs) yes yes and he would get approached by lots of people to mention Mm. their things and he just wouldn't do it unless it was like the dwarf bread museum hmm no, he wouldn't take sponsorship, but he will mention things he genuinely likes. <laughs> yes. Oh, okay, that's great. All right, listen, again, this is one where we love your <laughs> ideas for this. Put them on the social media and let's use the hashtag Instagram <laughs> because it's too good not to use. Carl, you're a genius. And, and this, look, we're past halfway now and all of these are so good. They're so good. It's just so much fun. And also just makes you think about things in a different way. It does. But you know, also while we're at halfway though, I feel like it's important for us to mention the reason that we can do this bonus episode is because of our subscribers, not just our Eek tier subscribers, but every one of you who subscribes to the podcast contributes some money every month so that we can spend a lot of time doing this. There's no way we'd be doing bonus episodes unless we could afford the time. Because it's, it's a lot, I, I won't bang on about it, but it's a long, arduous process, putting a podcast together, doing a good job of it, hopefully, as we are. I just want to say thank you very much and encourage you, if you don't already, think about whether you want to support us. If you can, obviously, you can't afford it. It's fine. Or you don't want to. We're not going to hassle you about it. But I'm not going to shop at your doorstep and do our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we won't. Although maybe that's an idea. Maybe. $25 <laughs> tier, we should offer that as a service. Uh, but What I do want to suggest, though, is that if you aren't already, even if it's not us, if there are independent artists out there, podcasters are a great one, but maybe there's a YouTuber or someone who writes an amazing blog, all of that stuff takes an awful lot of time and work and energy. And the model that we have for it in the world is that you have to release it for free. You can't charge a fair price for it because no one will pay it. So we rely on releasing it for free and a very small percentage of the people listening supporting that creation monetarily. So even if it's not us, uh, if you just support one independent artist making something that you truly enjoy and get a lot out of, it would make me very happy for sure. So please, please, please do that. And do, you know, if you like Pratchat and you want us to get to the end of our six-ish year mission, which is getting slightly longer all the time because I keep announcing new books. (laughs) We haven't actually, we won't go into that in detail now, but in case you missed it, listener, there's going to be a book called Tiffany Aching's Guide to Being a Witch, co-written by Rihanna Pratchett. It sounds amazing. It's very cool. So, you know, there's, there's some more books coming, which means we've got no shortage of things to talk about. Yeah, it might be more like a seven-ish year mission. We'll see. We'll see. (laughs) Yeah. We'll Wasn't still- originally a five-ish year mission. Well, no, I always <laughs> said six-ish because I kind of worked out there's about 60 novels. So that would be five if we just did those. But I always figured we'd do other things as well. So, mm. yeah, I always figured six-ish. 
But anyway, thank you to those of you who subscribe. Thank you all of you who listen. If you can't support us monetarily, a big thing you can do is just recommend us to anyone you know who really likes Terry Pratchett and who you think would dig this podcast. Spread the word. And not just about us, but about any of the Terry Pratchett Discord podcasts that you'd like. There's some other great ones as well. Um, anyway, that's our, that's our mid role. <laughs> as we say, we don't, we don't do ads. This is the other thing. This support means we don't have to put ads in the podcast, which I really just don't want to do because what would be appropriate? You, you listen to us. Imagine it. Imagine it. only one. <laughs> uh, it's a deep cut, but I love it. <laughs> There'll be an episode note about that uh, in case you didn't get that. But I don't want to overexplain the joke. Mm. Part five. Cats. All right. So we've distilled this question down to... Do women carry the physical and mental load of the Discord narrative? This should be fast. <laughs> yes. The answer is yes. Uh, moving <laughs> yes. on. No. No, I think <laughs> that's true. I can't say this in the context of a conversation that a friend of hers, in fact, her cousin was having with her grandson about women having to do all the work. It's a topic we hope will become redundant, but hasn't yet. Yeah. Yeah. Not to... um toot my own horn or bring up my own work, but I'm absolutely going to bring up my own work. I did a short story a couple of years ago about women whose spoilers um, slowly turn into mops and society just accepts it. Wow. Yep. Yep. Okay. Yeah. One of my darker ones. Actually, no, that's like one of my very mild ones, but Mm. yeah. So this is one I feel quite acutely because, yeah, the people in my life are great, but- it's certainly not equal. No. More broadly. And on the Discworld, that's also true. I mean, we had a great conversation on the Discord after our episode about I Shall Wear Midnight, in particular, picking up on this whole idea in the narrative that witches should not get paid for the work that they do, which goes back to the early witches books too. Like there's this real thing. No, you don't get paid. People just give you things that you need. And you're like, well, why not? Mm. You can choose the things that you need. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes sense in the ram tops where it, I don't think anybody gets paid. None of the people who are farming up in the ram tops are getting paid like by the king to do the farming. They just do it. There's a barter economy. There's a barter economy there. So that makes sense. But then when that's translated down to the chalk where people do get paid money and there's still this idea that Tiffany should not be paid for all of the things that she does, which are essential services that no one else is doing it's kind of shit mm. <laughs> it's, it makes me angry there's like a low and it happens more throughout but as there's a low thrum of anger throughout all of it like mm. i remember very vaguely when we did the first tiffany book that i was quite annoyed at, that she was expected to basically be responsible for wentworth her younger brother mm. and i can't sort of speak to sibling looking up cause as an only child i can't really talk to that but it seemed like she was like making cheese, looking after her younger brother, doing like practical things. And she was like nine or whatnot. And the expectations sort of only become more as she becomes a witch. She has this now huge responsibility that's obviously taking a psychological toll on her that she's also not remunerated for. And it's just kind of expected. Mm. So it's not great. Yeah. I mean, things do kind of get a bit better during the books in some ways. Like Again, you know, because it's the most recent one and the latest book in the series that we've talked about, in I Shall Wear Midnight, Tiffany's dad does show some real kind of emotional Mm. and psychological insight into what's happening in his community and is trying to say, yes, I need to be part of the solution as well. But that's more as a 
we as a community need to do it, not as this has been left up to women for too long. Mm. Yeah, so there's there's a lot of that sort of thing. And it's not just witches either. I mean, when you look at Sybil and Vimes' relationship, which we, mm. I mean, we all love, they are great, but he does not do any of the emotional work <laughs> in that relationship. He's all about his job, it's, and that's kind of a very traditional gender role thing to do. And it's fascinating because, like, she's also all about her job, which is looking after the Swamp Dragons, but she's also all about their household. Yeah. So, I mean, I think you're right. The short answer is yes, but there's just so many examples. Yeah, well, we don't get that much of a look at everyone's sort of domestic day-to-day life in the series. But if you look at Unseen University, isn't it the only women who are allowed in there are the ones who do the cleaning and make things, like, chug along? While they all sit around sort of being like, we're like inventing a thing or we're getting on an adventure or doing a hijink. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And there's very little evidence of men doing any caring work or looking after each other psychologically. I mean, well, I mean, there's little bits here and there, like watch officers tend to look after each other a bit, but only in that really blokey way. And I mean, we see through the lens of Angua and Cheery and later on Sally a little bit as well that it, it is a real blokey workplace you know Mm. so i don't think they're carrying the can there you know Mm. and there's certainly isolated pockets of those gender roles being punctured in the disc world some of them quite early on i mean obviously the big example being esk becoming a wizard Mm. but that does not change the unseen university and now there are lots of women becoming wizards no it doesn't change that status quo it's an outlier it's a metaphor yeah but I want to emphasize that I don't read this as Pratchett not writing in strong or good roles for women. No. I read that as him as part of his whole social satire. Like this is a reflection back of our world and that is being reflected accurately in Discord. Yeah. And the way he writes, you know, like particularly sort of husband and wife relationships, I think doesn't necessarily always reflect his own reality from what little we know of his relationship with Lynn, which is very little, you know, they were very private about that. But a lot of the times when there's are those established relationships, like Sam and Sybil, they are very traditional in that way. Mm. And that is partly for recognition purposes and partly because when he is making a comment about those roles, he's doing it in a very deliberate and specific way. Whereas mm. the rest of the time it's, you know, it's there for gags. Mm. So, yeah, I, I agree with you. I, I think he's quite aware of what he's writing about. And often it is a bit of a satire of the status quo that we have on Round World. So, yeah. Mm. But I, but I, that doesn't change the fact that, yes, I think the women do carry the physical mental load of the mm. narrative in the Discworld. Hopefully that uh, is a good answer for you, Kaths. Mm. If you've got some examples that you think support our position, or if you think Pratchett actually was a lot more progressive about this and snuck in a lot more feminism and equality than maybe we thought, let us know. Part six, Jess and Ellie. Which Discworld character would you love or where are they now update for? It's all of them. Yes. And look, I will say, Jess and Ellie, you sent so many good questions. We'll try and figure Mm. out a way to answer some of those other ones later. They were good. But this is the one we thought we would answer because it's fun. I I like these questions where we can just sort of think back because we're now, you know, what are we like? Nearly 70 episodes in. We've read a Mm. lot of these books. Over a long time, it's just fun to go back and think about who who do we wish we knew more about? Where are they? What are they doing? This was there a character mm. that you 
particularly wanted. I mean, I've mentioned him a lot, but I'm always interested in where Moist would have ended up. Like, I just want to check in every sort of three years of his life and see where he's at and what what he's doing, how he's grown, how he's not grown. I reckon that he's an interesting one that I would want to keep checking in on. Now, we've visited the theory several times that Moist is being prepared by Vetinari to take over. Mm. Which, look, you know, I think that's a valid scenario. I don't know that he would do it or whether he really is the best person for that job. I mean, I think when we talked in a previous episode about what would it be like if there are elections, I think this was uh, Carl's question from last year, that maybe Moist's job would be to run the elections and make sure they were mm. fair and come up with a way to elect a leader of Ankh-Morpork. You know, that could be where he is. But, yeah, I agree, though. Like, what's he doing now? How's his family <laughs> what's going? What's his next caper? Yeah, what's his next caper? He's done, uh, I was going to say planes, trains, and automobiles, but he hasn't done that. He's done, he's done stamps, <laughs> stamps, notes, and trains. That's lots, though. Uh, so, yeah, that'd be good. I'd mm. love to know where he is. Nobby Knobs. Oh, yeah? Yeah, like, I feel like he's just going to end up in, he doesn't really have character progression. So, like, it was like, where is he now? Still in the watch. <laughs> exactly the same as he was before. Because yeah, it's interesting because, like, we've already kind of read the last book that tells us much significant about what the watch is up to. Well, I mean, still got Monstrous Regiment, which we are going to cover hopefully soon, but that doesn't really tell us a lot about the watch. They're sort of incidental characters. But the last book is really just about Vimes. Like, the others are hmm. barely in it at all. So, yeah, we we kind of already at the point where we've heard as much from them as we're going to. Mm. So, I know it could be an interesting one. I do wonder about some of the characters who only sort of appear once. Mm. Do I, I mean, I know we've often mentioned Tepic on the show when people have asked oh, him to like yes. see come back. But I would like to know what he got up to. Mm. And what is Jelly Baby like now, you know? Yeah, and what's his camel doing? <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, where's the camel? What's the camel up to? That's just everyone from Pyramids. Yeah. I kind of would just like to check back in on them. Like, just, just, uh, <laughs> how's Pyramids like 20 years on? Pyramids retrospective. Yeah. No, I'd, I'd be up for that. So, spoilers for the truth. If you haven't listened to our episode or read the book, Mr. Pin and Mr. Tulip, both of them die, but it's in the afterlife that they get the chance to redeem themselves. And one of them does and one of them doesn't. So Mr. Tulip seemed to actually have redeemable qualities. And I think if I remember correctly, he sort of set up on the path of very slow reincarnation. Yeah, he becomes a woodworker. Kind of- <laughs> yeah. So I kind of want to see where that goes. Mm. Yeah, okay. Like his journey yeah. through different lives and if he actually does manage to redeem himself and if he ends up back being a human, what kind of human that is. Like that's that's a character where I'd like to see where things went because that was such a strong sort of ending for him. Yeah, no, that's fair. I would like to know what happened. Again, some of the one-off characters, like the ones that we follow for a long time, you can kind of get a feel for where they were going, right? But Victor Tugelbend. <laughs> what is he doing now? <laughs> like, He's still doing that exam. <laughs> it could be. No, but does he, though? Does he go back to the university? No, does he make a no. go of it with Ginger? You know, well, I mean, that's not a real name, Theta. But in the book, it does say something like he was reminiscing about it in years to come. So he clearly has some fond memories of Hollywood. And I think everyone who was involved in that whole thing probably did because it's exciting being part of a whole new crazy industry and making entertainment for people. 
But, you know, does he go back to Ankh-Morpork and become an actor? Like, probably not. Like, I think he kind of, there's a great, it's a great line, and I forget what film it's in. And I think we probably mentioned it when we talked about moving pictures, but there's a great line where Laurence Olivier, I think it was, was playing a movie star in a film and he's asked to go on TV and act something. And he's like, I'm not an actor. I'm a movie star. Uh, he's like, I don't act. I just do charismatic things in front of the camera. I can't do something live. That's outrageous. And I think Victor's a bit like that. So I don't know. I just, I just don't know what he would have done afterwards. And I kind of want to know what happened with him and Ginger. Yeah. I reckon he and her stayed together and became extremely conventional on the outside just live normal jobs where like they have kids and they send them to school you wouldn't be like oh they were movie stars but every so often you get a hint of just something from them but you know what else i think they leverage their brief fame from the moving pictures from the clicks onto the clacks they became uh. instagram stars <laughs> <laughs> that's what happens our influencers there we go yeah that's what happened yeah. Uh, I can't think of too many others that I really want to know. Like a lot of them we kind of, like I say, we kind of have enough to go by. Do you think, and I mean, this is kind of something we'll probably visit when we do Unseen Academicals because it's kind of their last appearances. But do you think Ponder becomes Arch-Chancellor of the University? Do you think that's the trajectory that he's on? Kind of feels a bit that way. It feels like it, but also knowing the university, it could just you can be on a trajectory and then suddenly you can be a pile of goo. Like it, you just don't know. <laughs> so all things going well. Yes. Yeah. yeah fair. Also Hex. How what's, well- what's Hex doing now? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, probably it's reaching the singularity. I don't know. <laughs> Writing essays for students. <laughs> yeah. Through the internet. Oh no. no um, definitely not. Uh, definitely. Mm. Definitely not. Hex GPT. No, thank you. No. Actually, there's AI influencers, you know, like <laughs> ones that are completely made up. So there's one called Lil Michaela who is completely computer generated. I'm not quite yeah. sure how it works, but maybe Hex has a bit of a side hustle doing that. No. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, look, I, we, we ended up answering uh, another question there through that. But yeah, that, I think those, are there any other characters before we move on that you would want to know where they're at now? So many, but I reckon those are my key ones. That if I had to choose, those are the ones that I would pull out. Yeah. How yeah. about you? Well, I think no, same for me. Tepic and I, I mean, I would have said Esk, but you know, we just read a book where we kind of find out. Mm. Although there's still so many questions, so many questions. <laughs> yeah, Esk is more like where was she then? Like mm. I want to see some of the the stuff in between. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And we also, you know, what else? Actually, there's one more. We get a glimpse of what Tiffany's future looks like. What about? Patchoulia Gristle and the other young I kind of want to see all of them, yeah. I'm kind of curious, like, flash forward 20... Like, it's the end of the movie where they freeze frame on each of them and they say where they ended up. <laughs> like, you know, that classic sort of 80s movie thing. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, I want that, but for all of the, the young witches. Great. Love it. Part 7. Nathan. All right, so there's a lot of fun in this one, which has been distilled down to, what would Discworld be like if Terry were standing out today and how would you help him? That is quite a distillation. Nathan, you wrote such a beautiful framing for this. Actually, I just can I just read the start of this? Because it was so beautifully framed. I was going to ask if you could do that. The year is... No, not you. Me. <laughs> oh. 
The year is 2025, and a young, upcoming author with a couple of published novels, but looking to really next level his writing, joins your writing crit group. Hi, he says. My name's Terry Pratchett. What do you think of my manuscript? <laughs> oh my God, you would die. I mean, you wouldn't yeah. die, because in this scenario, he's unknown. The Discord doesn't yet mm. exist. But who's going to give him feedback, Liz? If Terry Pratchett was starting out now, who would we want to be mentoring him? So it's people who are available now, right? Not like our fantasy football team of anyone dead and alive that <laughs> yeah, we can no, bring no. into. We're, this one's more practical. We're setting it now. If he was starting out now, who would be an ideal mentor? Okay, so let's get real meta about things. I'm mm. going to say Jasper Ford, who it kind of was the other way around a little bit. They didn't mentor each other, but I remember Terry Pratchett wrote a blurb on one of Jasper Ford's early books. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. He said he'd be watching him apprehensively. Um, so it'd be kind of fun to see that reverse where Jasper Ford is the established writer now who's mentoring a young Terry Pratchett or having a look at his first book and blurbing that. If Terry Pratchett was starting out now, do you think Neil Gaiman would mentor him and see greatness in Oh, him? yes. I that mean, would be would, amazing. Would, he wouldn't even exist, right? Like there would be no Neil Gaiman of 2023 without the Terry Pratchett of 1981. But still... If we are imagining that the rest mm. of the, if it's if it's a yesterday style scenario <laughs> where nothing <laughs> else has changed, even though something quite fundamental to the culture of a large part of the world <laughs> has been changed, <laughs> yeah, I it seems like a good. I mean, obviously because they were friends and they you know clicked, but yeah, do you think that would mean that Pratchett's writing would end up more Neil Gaiman esque? Yes. Um, well, actually, no, because that's not really how mentorship, good mentorship shouldn't work like that. It should mm. be your mentor understands you and helps you to bring out your voice more. Like, of course, like there is influence and admiration. And so it would shape, like, it, there would be a game and influence in there, but I still think it would be still strongly the Pratchett we know because a good mentor brings out what's in you, not puts their brain in you. That's true. Like, you know? That's true. Yeah. 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 What's Susanna Clark? I've never read any of her books, so I cannot comment on that. I've, so I, I refuse to comment. No, I'm just no comment. <laughs> it's a tough one because, you know, she's only written two books and some short stories, but they're so good. I'm a massive fan. If you're not sure who Susanna Clark is, she wrote uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norell and uh, Piranesi was her second novel, which is much, much shorter. <laughs> <laughs> but very good still. I really dug it. But, uh, but yeah, I, it's tricky because who's writing comedy now? You said Jasper Ford, and I think that is a really good choice. Cause Nathan was like bonus points if you think of Australians. And I'm like, well, I don't know of any Australians who are writing funny enough books. Cause I think you do want a comedian's perspective. If you're, or at least a humor writer's or comic writer's perspective, if you're writing comedy, because it is a different thing to writing drama. Well, I think in that case, because we're, Nathan's offered us up a writing group. So we can have a comedian there. Mm. We can have a writer in there. It doesn't have to take, because comedy is writing, as you know, mm. and you don't have to publish books to be a comedic writer. That's so true. I think there would be quite a few like stand up comedians who could offer help and ideas on structure. In this way, especially if it's a group scenario, because you've got your people who can tell you about like how to go about like making your book structure good or like story flow, that kind of thing, without having to necessarily be in the comedy area. So it's kind of like combined mm. skills is also an option. Well, the, I mean, the other things that Nathan was sort of asking us about is, you know, what would this change? Like, what would his first Discworld book be about if he was writing it in a couple of years' time? 2025 is the year that he sort of posited. 
and what advice would we give him to get by? I, I thought about this one quite deeply. I think the core themes of Discworld, like the core things that he's satirizing and bringing out, those things haven't really changed, which in some cases is very depressing. Mm. But I think the order they come out in and the characters they're told through might be slightly different. Like there might not be a watch in the way that we know it because mm. attitudes towards police have changed a lot between when they were first written and now. So it might be a different way in which we see that element of things. Well, they might not be the protagonists. You know, I could see like a mm. modern wo- version of a watch novel being your equivalent of Vimes and the gang doing the right thing by not being the police. Whereas you'd mm. still have the equivalent of, of mayonnaise quirk and the day watch embodying what's wrong with policing as an institution um, mm. and forming that as a critique. Do you think it would still be that kind of high fantasy pastiche that sort of then bends into this sort of more renaissance kind of later history weird sort of mix up? Do you think there'd be more elements of sort of modern technology but translated into magic in it from the start? I mean, which was always there, but it was like sort of simple stuff like eyeglasses and and cameras. But, you know, would would the clacks have been in it from the start, for example, or- an equivalent of the internet, like we were talking about, yeah. that sort of stuff. Would that be in there, do you think, from the start? Yeah, I think it would be because, like, there would still be all the high fantasy stuff but with that element in it because he'd still be Terry Pratchett. He'd still have the same interests in fantasy and sci-fi yeah. that he came to the original Discworld with. But the other thing I was thinking is that if he were to write it now, probably AI would be a topic that would come in earlier as well because that's a yeah. thing that we've talked about in the past that we'd have liked to see him tackle and I feel like because that is such a big conversation at the moment in so many different realms, that is something that would come into Discworld early on. And I do think that Discworld would have more technology because it reflects the world that he's in and it continued to evolve to reflect the world that he was in as he wrote. So if he was writing them now, yes, I think 100% Clax would be in it from the beginning. Yeah. But he kind of steered away from doing anything that was too immediately like of the moment. Like there's no... There's not, there's not much in the Discworld novels that's kind of ripped from the headlines with, you know, maybe a couple of uh, big exceptions, one of which being kind of we talked in the Interesting Times episode about how that may have been influenced by the world's reaction to the Tiananmen Square massacre. And then also there's some of the stuff in Thud that seems like it could have really come from a sort of post 9-11 awareness of certain things. There are a few things like that, but they're always kind of quite broad. They're not specific, you know, like he didn't write- mm a 9-11 style event into the disc world. He just sort of talked about some of the themes that were on his mind because of what was happening in the real world. So because it's a couple of years in the future, AI is probably only going to become a bigger and bigger kind of thing that we talk Mm. about. I mean, or hopefully by then we'll have a better term for it because we'll have realized that it's not really artificial intelligence. No, um, it's computer generated. Yeah. yeah, but anyway, this, that's a whole thing we could talk. No one asked us to talk about that, so let's not. But uh, but I, I think that that could be one, and maybe you know the first story would be about hex, like the invention of hex and what that does to the city and what it does for people that starts to put other people out of work or cause people to value what other people do differently. Yeah, it's also because like if we're looking at two years down the line, already now we're seeing the pandemic has thrown some attitudes into sharp relief. And in two years' time, that's only going to be more apparent as we learn more. So I think that would absolutely need to make it into the series and it would be another focus. I'm not saying he'd have a pandemic novel. It's more the attitudes that we're seeing as a result 
mm. of society having changed in such a way in such a short period of time. So I think there'd be elements from that, perhaps more of a healthcare theme come through because that was not really something that was big in the series, but is mm. something that's on society's mind now, certainly. Yeah. And also just, you know, it, because it rocked so many things, I'm studying pedagogy and teaching now, and it's such a big shift in the way that a lot of people think about that, not just as people who are being taught or have children who are being taught, but as teachers and how you do it. So it affects so many different things. So that could, I can imagine that, you know, the 2025 version of the Discworld might be set however many years after a, some sort of cataclysmic event that nobody mm-hmm. really talks about, but which clearly has had knock-on effects. That could be part of it for sure. All right. Well, look, uh, mm. let's finish this one off with the last question. If we were giving mm. someone, let's, let's imagine Terry Pratchett's come to our writing group. It's a comic fantasy about a world on the back of a turtle. No one's ever written anything like that before. And this was something that came up in a couple of questions that we didn't end up answering. You know, the, the, he's got a very unique mix of things. What advice do we give him? Like, do we say, this is great. Just send it in. I mean, we can't rely on the fact that we know it's brilliant and will be a great success in the same way that Pratchett couldn't know that when he started writing it. And indeed it wasn't immediately. It took a little while. What would we say? My advice would be to either find an agent who really strongly believes in your vision and can help you in that way. And if you didn't want to do that, uh, or in conjunction with that, go through as many publishers as you need to, to be able to keep your original vision and not to change it to suit fads. Because yeah, a lot of people are going to say, as Nathan phrased, his silly little turtle world, they're going to be like, oh, that's a bit, can you like tweak that a little bit? Or can you tone down the silly? Or can we get rid of this element? And my mm-hmm. advice, I reckon we, if we didn't know him and you picked up his book, and I know I've slammed the color of magic a lot of times, but you know that there's something there, even if you don't love the whole book. So I think my advice would be to trust your vision and go to as many people as you need to until you find the person who also trusts it. Don't bend it to the first person who's like, I'll publish if mm. yeah yeah i go with that well look i mean i i don't know that i can imagine any more advice i would give a brand new terry pratchett feels <laughs> too be, audacious I to mean, even think about but <laughs> i mean yeah and also because i'm not a novelist you know i am a writer but i don't that's not the kind of writing that i do so i would feel a bit weird i definitely would probably say make sure you know what you want to do with this because you could make great video games or movies or something you know like because that's what had happened now, right? If he's writing it now, he probably would have stars in his eyes a little bit and want to make films and stuff a bit more than back in the day when he was writing in the 80s and the 90s. It was all about the novels. And then anything else that happened was like gravy, which meant he could be like, well, I only want the good gravy. <laughs> don't offer me shitty gravy. Like, I don't want your gravy unless it's exactly the kind that I want. And uh, I get as much of it as I like and no more. Uh, so, yeah, I think that would be a big change too in how he'd be thinking about it in terms of a multimedia thing. And that might be something I'd advise him. I was like, yeah, you know what? This could make a great script as well. Like, you know, try and be a good audio drama. (laughs) (laughs) Try and convince him of that. Anyway, what, what a delight. We could have spent an entire episode on any one of these questions, but you know, we've only got so much time for bonus episodes, unfortunately. So we're going to call it there. Thank you to everyone who sent in questions. Frank, Jing, Graham, Carl, the Caths, and I, I, I think there's two of them. I'm a bit, maybe a little bit confused about that, but I, hopefully there's two of you. Jess and Ellie and Nathan. And thank you to all of our other subscribers. 
Uh, there were maybe one or two tier subscribers we didn't hear from, but look, if you're out there and you think of something, let us know. We'll see what we can do about that. But everyone who supports the podcast and listens, thank you so much. Um, I just want to add a note that I hope isn't a bummer, but I want to apologize for not being as active on the Discord as I previously was, and I'm planning to come back soon. I've just found starting my new role, like it's not new, it's a few months old, has taken a lot of adjustment to my schedule and I miss talking to everyone and I miss the conversations happening there and I will be back and I'm sorry for having been away. You also missed some truly spectacular pictures of people's arts and crafts and Ugh. so All right, well but the good thing is I can scroll back and see them. That's true. They're so, still there. They're still yeah. there. <laughs> but yes, um, I'm so sorry for not being there. Um, I've been absent from pretty much everything um, across all spheres of my life. So I will be back and I'm sorry. Well, look, I think we're all very understanding, Liz, and we look forward to seeing you there again. And you can come and correct me about things. <laughs> not, I don't know why I said that. That's not something that you typically do. Yeah, and also um, there's nothing to correct because you, you're the one who knows all the things. No, no, I get things wrong all the time. One thing I'm going to try and not get wrong is just a reminder that our next two episodes mm. coming up, we've got two books coming up. We're doing two non-Discworld books in a row. We are going back to 1981 to Strata, Pratchett's second science fiction novel, After the Dark Side of the Sun, the one that has very much a proto-Discworld in it. We'll get to that when we discuss it. But if you've never read it, it's a good read. It's pretty short. We're reading that for June. And then for our July episode, we will be reading the fourth Long Earth book, The Long Utopia. We're nearly so, at the end of that series too. So, so maybe start reading that one now. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty long. It's pretty long. We're getting a short one in before we do, yeah. <laughs> do the long one so you can read them back to back. Of course, you can still send us questions. If you want to send us questions for Strata, you need to get in very quickly after this episode comes out because we'll probably be recording it very soon. Pratchat 68 is the hashtag, or you can email us, of course, at chat at pratchatpodcast.com with your questions or find us on any social media, send them through that way. And if you want to send in questions about the long utopia, the hashtag for that is Pratchat69. Up to 70, 70 episodes. You were going to say nice, weren't you? <laughs> no, I was just going to think nice. <laughs> and I did. <laughs> you thought it and you said it with your face. Um, anyway, thank you once again for joining us on this very weird journey. I can't look. I don't know if we'll get to do more than one of these again, Liz. Who knows? We just don't know. Um, I reckon we will. The, you reckon they we keep will? bringing out books and there's a lot of board games. <laughs> well, there's not, there's only three left. There's That's a lot, lot of many. board games. <laughs> but there's three left. There's about four Discworld novels we haven't done yet, I think. There's still a Science of Discworld book. There's quite a few little spin-offs and things that we've kept until late in the piece because a lot of them do refer to the Discworld as a whole and we don't want to mm. spoil you or leave out bits of a book because we haven't read them all yet. So, yeah, we'll get to those. We'll get to them. So there's probably there's still at least a year left. Yeah, you're probably right. We'll do this at least one more time. Thanks for coming on this crazy journey with us. And until next time, we'll see you on the internet. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Eat Club. I'm doing my best Ben impression and I do not know what he says after this, but I do know that we very much appreciate you being here and thank you for listening. We'll be back in another year with another Eat Club. Please keep the questions coming. Thank you very much. Pratt Chat is brought to you by Splendid Chaps Productions. We make entertainment for your ears, like the Doctor Who podcast Splendid Chaps and time travel comedy series Night Terrace. To find out more, visit SplendidChaps.com.